Hi, how would you like to advertise on Conversations with Dwyer? Email me at conversationswithdwyer and we can talk about it. Or actually email me about it. But whatever you're advertising, whether it be your product, your music, or just yourself, that ad will reach around the world and it will live on that episode or multiple episodes forever. So please email me at conversationswithdwyer at gmail.com and let's get emailing about it and get some ads up here. All right? All right, let's listen to this episode. Conversations with Dwyer. I'm Matt Dwyer. This is an independent music podcast. And speaking of music, that song that played me in is Race for the Prize. That is from the 1999 album The Soft Bulletin by The Flaming Lips. And speaking of The Flaming Lips, Wayne Coyne is my guest today. And I would be lying if I didn't say it's an honor. It is a damn honor to have Wayne Coyne on my podcast. And The Soft Bulletin was one of my and still remains to be one of my all-time favorite records. And uh, speaking of which, they have a new album out, uh, new, I mean, not like today, but recently, called American Head, which is also brilliant. You'll hear me gush about it when I talk with Wayne, which we'll get to in a few moments. Uh, if you're a fan of The Flaming Lips, and, uh, oh, oh, just real quick, too, I'll put all things uh, Flaming Lips in the show notes so you can buy American Head or some Flaming Lips merch, and I'd like to uh, thank Bree and Rick from Warner Music for making this happen. I would be a real dope for uh, not thanking them because this was uh, cool. It's pretty cool. Uh, but, uh, yeah, and if you're a fan of the Flaming Lips and you're here because of Wayne Coyne, uh, check out some of my past guests. I've had a lot of uh, cool, other cool guests. <laughs> I sound like I'm in an episode of Happy Days. Uh, but uh, I've had... Uh, Tim Presley, Harmar Superstar, uh, Wayne Kramer from the MC5, I don't know, uh, Rodney Anonymous from the Dead Milk. Anyway, I've had a wide variety of go and, you know, newer, some newer folk. So go back to the, uh, check out the library, and I'm sure you'll find some other interviews you'd like to listen to and be like, I like that guy. Let's listen to that guy or person. Um. But yeah, and I was saying in the show notes also, there's all things Matt Dwyer. So you can go to my website and find the social media, which is a great way of finding uh, who has been on the show or who's going to be on the show. And uh, and if and if you're uh, an old listener or even new, if you want more of this podcast, you can become a Patreon subscriber for five bucks a month. You get uh, extra, like sometimes there's video footage and there's extra um bonus episodes and bonus footage and I'm going to be doing a podcast that solely will live on the uh, Patreon which it will be me talking with comedians about and filmmakers about the music that has influenced their life from childhood to to now and I think that'll be really cool and something I want to do I'm just really busy with this podcast so I'm trying to but it's pretty soon and uh, by the way Patreon subscribers get a button you get a free conversations with Dwyer it's just the logo which I think is pretty cool, which was done by Charlene Yee, speaking of comedians and actors and cool people. Um, real quick with this conversation, I love it to death, and it's really great. I started it, I usually don't uh, include the portion of the show where I'm like, hello, the greeting, because <laughs> that's boring. But when I ask Wayne, uh, 
how are you doing? It goes into something. Um, so there's a reason I'm leaving it in because I, you, it's kind of a pet peeve of mine when I, especially in printed articles, I've seen this a lot lately where in a printed interview, they type in the, they include their greetings to each other. And I'm like, we don't need this. We could just have a, anyway, you don't need my opinions on articles. Do you, uh, Thank you very much for being here. I greatly appreciate you listening, and I also am greatly appreciative that Wayne Coyne has done my podcast. It is an honor. Please enjoy. Well, hello. (laughs) (laughs) How are you? I am I am I'm great. I mean I I'm always aware that when sometimes people say how are you, you know, they don't really mean tell me the real truth, but I really am great. <laughs> I mean in the world where people can, you know, their relatives can all be sick from this coronavirus and all that, we're um we're spectacularly feeling good. So that that that's really great. I'm and I do ask that cuz I I've always been that way too where people ask me, I'm like, if you're going to ask me, I'm going to tell you if I'm depressed, so get ready. <laughs> 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 well, they don't mean that. They they just they just mean hello and yeah, it's like a slight <laughs> concern. But if it's if it's a long, weird, bad story, let's just lie and say you're doing fine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, if you had a bad story, I'd, I'd be into it. I, I've I've oddly found like uh, nuggets of joy within quarantine outside of people I know being sick and stuff. But I've it's been a lot of moments of self discovery, which I did not expect. Well, yeah. I mean, you know, we're doing a show, uh, you know, about a month from now that falls on the exact day, one year later from when we went into quarantine here, you know, and I was remembering back to that, just the very beginning of that. And how, you know, I I think there was a period in the first week where you thought there's going to be dead bodies piling up in the street and it's going to be horrible. But then once that didn't happen... Yeah, we would secretly say to ourselves, this is the greatest thing that's ever happened, you know, because we don't have to visit anybody. They were not supposed to visit anybody, you know. And I, and I would I would say not the world's fault, definitely our fault. You know, we would, we would feel guilty if we didn't say yes to everything, you know, that people invited us to. And, um, you know, we'll probably learn how to say no and still try to be nice <laughs> you know it's just, but it was it was phenomenal because you couldn't even go to a restaurant i mean i don't know how it was for you but in the beginning you know it was simply like you just didn't do anything and i mean we worked on our house we worked on our yard we worked on our sewage pipe problems all these wonderful normal things that you know you you don't remember that they're a joy to do and you get to take your time and you're doing it with love and it's I don't I don't know. I, I totally agree with you. And I think that's just the probably us just being optimistic and seeing, well, no matter what's happening, I can find some great thing in it. But but I do hear the other side of your what you said there. You know, no one in our family has died from it. Though a few people that we know have had it and even my wife had it. Not severe, not, you know, no hospital, and our baby has been fine. Our grandmother that lives with us here has been fine, too. So, yeah, that being said, we've had a great time, but we haven't, you know, had, had too many bad things happen at once. 
Yeah, we had a baby in May, which was the first time it really started heating up in the Los Angeles area. And in a weird, like, it, it was terrifying, but it, it, it's also been this blessing because I've been able to spend a year with my two daughters and that's time you don't, as a father, you don't usually get to spend with your kids. Yeah. Well, I would say the exact same thing, you know, previous to the lockdown, we took him almost everywhere we went, but it's, you know, it's a hell ride. You know, you're going to, you're getting in hotels and, 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 and Ubers and, and flying everywhere. I mean, we, we flew with him uh, to Australia and back, you know, um, and it's time together. And that, that, you know, that's just the way we live, but it's nothing as great as this time. That's, you know, you're kind of in the routine of doing stuff every day. And I think you and I have put that idea of routine into something bad. And, and I realize now it's like, it's wonderful. It's wonderful to be so relaxed and know uh, we're doing this and we like doing this and then we're going to get to do that and we like doing that and we get to go to bed at nine o'clock and you know all these things that we say routine like oh that's the enemy of being creative and being productive or whatever it's like it's not it's <laughs> it's beautiful you know i had to go pick something up a, a like i had an appointment to pick something up and i was like fuck i don't want to go somewhere and i'm like you haven't gone anywhere in months <laughs> like that's where i've i'm gotten like oh man i gotta like like comb my hair fuck this well i feel the exact same way which i didn't you know which surprised me but it's only once you're confronted with oh i really got to do this i had to go to the dentist yeah and previous to that you know i could see the appointment looming and i could just say well i there's maybe there's too much covid right now so last week i i ended up going i was glad once i went and all that that little bit of you know, it's not anxiety, but a little bit of like, oh, you know, this is this is slightly unpleasant or whatever. Um, you know, it went away once I saw it. You know, I was very glad I went, and they they were they were great. But it's, I know exactly what you mean. It's like it, you think that you haven't gotten to go anywhere, and you're going to jump at the first second that you're allowed <laughs> to go somewhere, but it's not true. It's, I, it, I think that's why you can you can put someone in prison for a hundred years and they don't just kill themselves because it's like well whatever you know this is low maintenance I don't have anything to do and <laughs> having nothing to do is <laughs> you know having nothing to do is, is 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 in a way kind of being free I mean I I don't know I I haven't been in prison I don't want to go to prison but I'm just saying that in the sense that this is what you do every day this is where you're going to be. Um, I think with the right state of mind, um, not having to be in jail with a bunch of murderers and all that, but I mean, just <laughs> in a sense that living the same Groundhog Day life over and over, it's like there's something so productive about that, you know? I mean, I, I think our our music and our shows and everything has, has benefited from having more time to think about it and to be relaxed about it as opposed to, Oh, you know, probably the last, uh, you know, 15, 16 years where really everything is just always in a hurry and you just get used to that. You know, you just live under the stress of it hurrying to run everywhere because you're always, you know, flying around the world playing, playing some show somewhere. Is that how it was the bubbles shows that you're doing? Was that just sort of an organic like, hey, let's do, was that like a more relaxed thing opposed to, say, all the planning that you've done in the past? Well, you know, I, I like I said, if you would have told me back, back last March that this is still going to be happening a year from now, and if me and you could know that it was going to be happening a year from now, I would have 
definitely planned on doing something like this, you know. But when it was happening last March, I mean, I I just simply drew a, this little cartoon that I had posted on Instagram. I mean, it's not meant to be funny, but it's like a little commentary about, you know, when the Flaming Nips played in 2019, um, you know, I'm the only one in the space bubble. And when the Flaming Nips play in, in 2020, you know, I'm in the space bubble, and so is the whole band, and so is the whole audience. And it's, you know, it's 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 a three second like oh that's funny you know commentary you know um but when the the the, the talent organizer guy at the stephen colbert show you know he got a hold of us early into the you know the lockdown and they were just looking for people who would be able to do a concert from home i, I think nowadays everybody's able to do that but in the early days i think they just reached out to people that they felt like you think you could do this? Because we we didn't know what they were then. We were just yeah, we were all just coming up with the idea. And he said, you know, he talked about, yeah, I think we could put something together. I think that'd be great. And I was hinting at, can we do this space bubble cartoon? Because he he mentioned that he had seen it, and he said, well, I was kind of thinking the same thing. Like, could could we do that? And it really got us, you know, the ball rolling as far as like, well, we could we let's see if we could really do it. And and. So, you know, we I think we immediately went to eBay. He had a few of the space bubbles. Of all the people in the world, <laughs> Stephen Colbert and I were in space bubbles at a show that they did, you know, that we were part of. And Stephen got in one, I got in one, and we went over the audience. So there's not very many talk show hosts, you know, on planet Earth that have a couple of space bubbles. <laughs> but they had a couple in there. I, I know, it's it's absurd. They had uh, two of them in their, you know, their little storage area. And we had, I think, probably eight or nine just because we've been doing it for so long. Some of them are old, some of them from video shoots, some of them have holes in them or whatever. So, we, you know, we were, we're starting off with a few and then we were trying to collect, you know, maybe another 10 or 15 if we could, you know. Um, saw some of them on eBay and thought, oh, we, we could get these. But like a lot of things, you don't know what you're getting into on eBay. As soon as you order it, you, they say, oh, well, this is going to come from China. It's going to take four weeks to get there. You know? <laughs> and, then, and then the beginning of the coronavirus, no one wanted to get anything from China. And so here we are going directly to China to try to get these silly space bubbles. You know, um, But after about five or six weeks, so quite a while you know, from when we first say we're going to do it, to where the space bubbles come in that lets us do this very, very first, uh, just thrown together video shoot, um, in one of the, in the big venue downtown. Um, and even, even that time in between, you know, when, when we realized it was going to take five or six weeks for the, those original space bubbles to get here, we thought, well, this, this probably all be over by then, you know? Um, and then we got them and it wasn't over. And then, we put the video thing together and then it's going to be another five weeks till they play it on air, which again, all of us said, well, this will probably be over by then, but we'll air it anyway. And it'll be, you know, it'll be funny or whatever. And as we know, we'll know that, you know, none of that came true. It's still going on, you know? So I think that initial thing of it just being, you know, one song, uh, not very many people and, um, you know, Oklahoma City, that's where you're talking to me from now. Um, you know, we, we in the beginning, we weren't ever badly hit. You know, we would we'd be watching the news about Los Angeles and New York and everybody. And we would be relieved that though we're in lockdown, um, 
you know, people aren't dying in the streets, you know? So even for us to do this, this little get together, you know, even to, to do the, the very initial space bubble video, you know, it didn't feel like a giant risk. It kind of felt like, I think if we take our time and are careful, I think we could, we could do it, you know? So I think all that, uh, you know, low maintenance, not very much risk. It's just one song. You know, Stephen Colbert already likes it and knows what we're going to do. You know, all that helped it happen before I really had to think about it, you know? And then, as it's gone on, you know, we've just done done a little bit more, done a little bit more, made it more serious, made it more, you know, uh, effective against the virus and all that, um, which still is in the same, you know, your idea is looming that if we're lucky, all this is over in the next month or so and we're going to go back to normal while at the same time planning this elaborate thing that's going to take us another couple of months to do. So, you know, it's a, it's, I don't know if I'm allowed to say this on your show, but, you know, it's a mind fuck, you know. Oh, you could say all the fucks you want. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, is there a plan? Are you planning to do a tour at all, like a bubble tour, or is that too big of a thing to... I, I don't I don't think so. I mean, you know, part of the reason why we're doing them here is just these travel restrictions and, you know, to to take it places, you know, it's, it's, you gotta be, you gotta have people in trucks, you gotta have a bigger crew. There's a bigger load in crew where you're going, you know, all these things that when you're going from city to city are kind of a gargantuan task, but when there's no virus to worry about, you get 25 guys and they make it all happen, you know, but that's the difference here. It's like the venue that we're, we've been in, we've just been in it the whole time. You know, they just let us come in and out, do whatever we want, set it up. So it's not, there's not this big, this big dilemma of loading in and loading out and getting riggers there and electricians and all that, that a normal show is. So, you know, all the, all the dilemmas of touring, you know, even for us as a band, you know, having to go to hotels and travel and do all that, it was just sort of off the table. Cause we, we don't want to, we're not, we don't want to drive into places where, you know, we don't know the, the status of all the people and, you know, with the coronavirus and all that. So no, I, I think mostly we're just going to do it here as long as, you know, as long as it seems feasible that that, that that's that that it's the only show going on, you know, and that part of it still is to me. I'm like, we've been so so busy putting on this show that I forget. It's like, oh yeah, there aren't really shows going on. It's it's weird. I mean, we're you know we're we're putting on shows and we're we're immersed in making it all happen and all that. But yeah, there's nothing else going on. It it really is such a un, unbelievable, insane moment in 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 the world, but especially for people who are used to, you know, putting on concerts and, and stuff, you know, in, in a way, um, you know, if you would have said, uh, you know, uh, we can't live without music, you'd be like, oh, no way, you know, music's essential, you know, if I can't go to a concert, I'll kill myself. Well, here we have, you know, it's going on a year and no one's gone to a concert and um, the world still, you know, goes around, you know. Yeah, I just I think I asked more for selfishly because I'm like I want to see some music and it's like my life is <clears throat> not as immersed in music as yours, but it's obviously something I dedicate a lot of my life to. And <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I just want to see something live, even if it's a guy on the corner playing guitar. I would be thrilled. Well, yeah, I mean that idea of being in you know a crowded room with loud music, people drinking, people screaming in each other's faces. I mean, I think people forget that that's 
that in and of itself doesn't really matter who's playing. Just being able to do those things in and of itself are wonderful. You know, it's just another, it's another thing that we're used to doing, you know? Um, but yeah, you know, I mean, but you know, it's like people, people want to think like, Oh, music is like the most essential thing. It's like, well, it's not really, you know, where the health workers and vaccines are more essential than, you know, let's get the concerts going, you know? And so I, you know, and in a way I'm glad of that, you know, it's, it, I felt very embarrassed and, and a little bit silly, even, even doing that very first uh, video for the Stephen Colbert show, just because it seemed like, Oh, you know, you guys are taking this serious. I'm just over here doing a silly video using space bubbles. The way that we're doing it now, I feel like it plays very much into, look, if you're looking to do something that's safe that you don't have to worry about, please come to our show because we know it's safe. You know, we know that there's a lot of uh, cautions that were taken. There's a lot of restrictions and that the audience themselves have to go through quite a bit, you know, to be at the show. So in that way, I, I I'm, you know, feel good about it, but, Early on, it felt a little weird. You know, here we are doing a show, and everybody else is struggling to stay alive. You know. Yeah, but it brings. I mean, to your thing with Colbert, it's like it brings joy to people at home. I was showing my five-year-old daughter the video of uh, some of the videos from the first live concert you guys did with the Bubbles, and it brought her so much joy. And it's like you know, you know, it's hard to get that kind of thing at home right now. So it's it is providing something great well uh, thank you for saying that i mean you know you get so caught up in doing it and you have to do it for musical reasons and performance reasons you know you have to have that part of it but i'm i'm glad when anybody says that because that that does make you feel good like it's it's like providing a service like i'm i'm if, if if i can do that then i then i do feel of abuse and and as you know as i'm helping the bigger cause so that's always good to hear i've watched like a few live stream concerts and it's been you know some people have done it with like uh caliphone did it with like a dance troupe and that took like a huge ordeal but it was like this great it was like its own unique in its i mean i know it was like a on my computer screen but it was something great and it like i don't know it gave me an energy and positivity that I, you know, I wasn't getting from not being able to see music. Well, no, I, I agree. I mean, when, um, when I've watched some of the shows that were, you know, uh, you're used to seeing and they have an audience clapping and laughing along, you know, that awkwardness of there being no, nobody laughing and nobody clapping, you know, that part of it, I just have, I think my muscle memory for this, being what we do, we listen and then we clap and everybody else claps and then we stop and then they play another song. I just keep getting mixed up. I'm like, Oh, what's happening? Something's going wrong. Cause nobody's clapping. It's like, well, there's no audience, <laughs> in it, you know? And so that part of it, you know, has taken a little bit of my, just trying to defeat my muscle memory. Cause I'm, I'm, I'm aware of it. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm conscious that there's nobody here, but you know, this deeper experience that you're getting is used to that applause and used to that being part of the the experience. So yeah, all of it has taken a little getting used to, but I, I feel the same as you. Like anytime that we see people trying, anytime we see people, you know, putting their hearts into something, um, it, it does, it, it kind of, it kind of encourages you. Yeah. It, to sort of switch gears. I wanted to talk about the, the American band piece that you wrote, uh, as well as the album, because I, I oh yeah, you mean the thing that that, that sort of um, 
to let you know what the album was about and the songs and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we're an American band. And then also just from researching yeah. you, it was, I, and listening to the album after I read that, it, it hit me. We come from similar worlds, you and I. Like our, my childhood was very similar to yours. I'm from a big Irish working class family. I'm the fifth of five. You're the fifth of sixth. Six? Yeah, wow. Yeah, yeah. And it's just like all these, like, it, and I, I don't know if this is common with the album, but it evoked all these memories that I hadn't had in, and like certain lines would like bring up these memories I, I hadn't had in, since I was a kid. Like it was, I've never had that kind of connection with an album or a piece that was written. And it just made me want to, I guess, explore that world that you come from more because i was like it was just so similar to my existence and also i was trying striving for something creative as well um but are you is your family all boys or do you have no one uh older sister so you know oldest brother then another brother older sister uh, older brother then there's uh, myself and then i have a younger brother and and um all but one of them, you know, is still alive. Uh, my one brother died of a drug overdose, um, I think maybe 10 years ago or so. So it's so been a while, you know. Um, and but both parents uh, have been dead for a while. Um, but, yeah, you know, I mean, I think Stephen and I, you know, the other songwriter and, and guy in the group, you know, with me, his same sort of thing, you know. I mean, I think that's why we felt like it was such a rich thing that maybe we could make eight or nine ten songs about this this thematic thing because it was something that Stephen and i you know we would discuss that that scenario of being younger and being worried and being having crazy siblings and you know and struggling with am i too sensitive and too worried and they're speaking of your older brothers, you know, are, are they smart and are they crazy and they wild? Like I wish I was. And you know, it's, it's, a, I'm laughing. You know, it's a I, lot told, to, I just relate to exactly what you're saying. Yeah. You know, and now, I, I mean, I think now that I mean, I'm 60 years old and, and, and Steven is in his early fifties. I think now we just, you know, are, are glad that that's, that's the scenario that played out, you know, and, and that, um, all that it makes, I mean, it's hard to sing songs about that. I guess that's why American head felt like it was a, a great gift from the gods of music or whatever, because, you know, a lot of times people sing about, uh, drugs and it's, it's glamorized and it's, it's romanticized and it's this big, wonderful, crazy thing, you know, or they sing about, you know, people going to jail or people selling drugs and all that. And it's, you know, and it's glamorized and it's this other thing. And, and Stephen and I, though we like those sorts of things, you know, that really wasn't at the heart of our, what our experience was with it. You know, there was, a, there was a lot of sadness and a lot of tragedy and a lot of violence and all that connected to these things uh, that, I mean, I was, I was a part of it too, but I mean, you know, these things that are supposed to be like the American dream. It's like you're a gangster, you're selling drugs, you're making money and there's violence. Who gives a fuck? And you're hurting people and you're not raising your kids. All these things that, you know, in a movie is, is, is fucking great. But in real life, it's, it's horrible. You know, it really is. It's devastating to people, you know? And I think we started to feel like we could, let's try to, I don't know, you know, we accidentally, I think, had a couple of songs that were in this vein, and then that urges you to kind of thematically say, well, 
maybe, maybe we've opened up something here and we can, we can sing more about it. But I'm glad to hear that you can relate to it so much because it's, it's such an embarrassing kind of thing, you know, to really state, here's how I felt about this. You know, it, it's kind of, it kind of there's a little, you don't always know how people are going to react. Yeah, I, I was curious if I mean I, I I don't I didn't know if it was because it was so I'm 52 so that my, you know it's the same similar era and even like some of the clothes I was seeing people wear and uh, fearless freaks I was like I was like this yeah. could be my family yeah. photos and it was like and you know my brother also was a, a drug dealer and almost went to jail he got lucky off of like he got a technicality and he was th- but i was like th- that sort of world also like desensitized like i grew up around so many drugs that it never like the dangers of like oh i'm in high school and i'll do cocaine was just like you know like ah, i guess i'll be a boy scout it was like that casual <laughs> no i i totally agree i mean i think the reason Stephen and I thought we could sing about it because I just thought this world, I mean, it's not very, it's not foreign to you at all, but this world that we're going to sing about is like from a whole nother time. If you're 20 years old, 25 years old nowadays, what we're going to sing about is un, unbelievable. Like what you just said, you know, I mean, my younger brother, and he, he knows that I've talked about this. It's like, you know, he was like 11 years old and he was doing acid, you know, um, and back then, maybe that probably seems absurd to people now, but back then it didn't seem that it wasn't bizarre at all. I mean, it really was just very normal. You know, you know so what? He would, he would do acid and go to, go to fucking junior high. You know, it's like, oh my God, you know. But, <laughs> I knew kids who did that but, or um, do speed and math. I'm like, how do you do speed in math class? Like, how do you even, I can't pay attention to math sober. Uh, <laughs> Wow. Well, uh, no, I mean, but that was part of the experience, you know, and I think by comparison, you know, my parents or whatever, as much as they knew about drugs and all that, they were just glad to look, you know, he's, he's, he's not in, he's not going to jail. He's not a violent person. He's not causing trouble in society. Whatever he wants to do is, is fine by us, you know, but it's, it is absolutely crazy. But to me, it feels like it's from another world. And I've, I've made jokes with people sometimes when I I know that they're probably, you know, they're probably in their early twenties or something. And they, and they say, well, how old are you Wayne? And I'll, I'll just make a joke and say, well, you know, I'm 85, you know, (laughs) and, 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 and they don't hear it as a joke. And they're like, Oh, okay. And I'm like, no, I'm not 85. I mean, when you're 50 or 60, 85 is old, you know, but I think to them being, in their early twenties, it's like, well, we know you're fucking old. So you could be 50, you could be 60, you could be 90. I don't fucking care. You're old. I mean, and I understand, that, you know, but, but it also made me think this time that Stephen and I, you know, are singing about, it's a long, long time ago. And there's been plenty of music that I've listened to that I didn't really know what they were talking about, but I, but the romanticized, idea of what they were singing about i could apply to my life now even though you know the beatles would be singing about stuff from their childhood and i'd be like i don't i don't know i don't know what they're singing about but it didn't matter i mean i would i would say like the song strawberry fields forever i mean that i didn't never think of this as being a place that john lennon uh really went you know to me it just it just stood for something else and it didn't really matter and the more i found out about what it really meant it made it even better. You know, it didn't take away my 
innocent uh, version of what I, what I thought it was, that could still be there. And then I could have this newer, more informed, you know, version of it as well. So to me, it, it can work really both ways. You know, I think when people, when you hear a song, you know, and it really speaks to you, I think it, it doesn't absolutely matter what exactly they're talking about. The the melodies and the tones and all this is having such a such an effect on you um, that oftentimes, sometimes you go and you really analyze a song and it's really the opposite of what you thought it was sometimes. It doesn't really matter. You know, it really is just this way of us all, you know, singing about these similar experiences or whatever, you know. And it's really more, what it evokes is probably more powerful than it, than it telling you something you didn't know. Because like you said, just reading a line, hearing a sound, something in a song, you know, you're transported through your own time. You know, it's like time travel, but it's just in your mind. It's just in your your time travel, and it's it's like the greatest thing ever. Yeah, yeah. I don't I don't know how many albums I've had in my life that evoke like just specific memories and people I haven't thought of in decades. It's just it's it's been like a real pleasure just to repeatedly I I listened to been listening to it on my on my dog walks and it's just like it's it's just bizarre like i almost feel like it is a movie living in my head or a, almost an opera like it has that much life which is extremely rare for uh, uh, an album at least for me as of oh, well, well thank you you know i mean that, uh, that that's the the greatest thing that uh, you know uh, someone that's creating something that they can hear because it because you know it's like i'm i'm there's part of you sings about a very specific thing within yourself. And, and, but it's sometimes that exact thing that is so universal. You know, we get around all the, the, the things that we think make us different. And we think, well, no, this is, this thing happened to me. There's no way it happened to everybody else. But when you sing about it, there is something in about the, the, the reinterpretation or whatever the evocative nature of it is, that is like a common experience. And that, you know, that's just a motherfucker. Cause that's, that's, that's the, you know, now that I'm allowed to say fuck on the show, you know, I'm, I'm letting quite a few of them go. Um, but you know, that's, that really is the challenge of, you know, what letting the music do something to you and then seeing, singing about what this music is doing to you. And that's when, when Stephen and I are creating songs, sometimes, you know, you, you get into a zone that just lets you sing about stuff that you would never have, even considered that you were going to sing about, you just start singing about it because it's the music and the mood and all that has opened up some door in you. And I, I think the same thing, like you're saying about listening to it, that as you listen to it, these doors open up, but you didn't, you didn't even know were doors. You didn't even know there was something to open up. Um, when you were in living in that world, did you feel outside of it a bit, like almost like a, a, an observer or were you immersed in your childhood? Cause it, well, it would it would be both, you know. I mean, I would have a lot of times where I just felt like um, I was missing out on what they were doing, um, and other times glad that I was missing out because it would be people getting in car accidents and people getting you know killed and people getting busted for drugs or whatever, people having overdoses. And then there would be the time in between where I would regret that I didn't go and then I'd go and not regret going. <laughs> you know, it's a lot of, it's a lot of, I did the minute I would go and do stuff, I would feel 
guilty that I didn't work on my paintings or something more that I would be doing by myself, you know. But my older brothers and their friends, they were all very encouraging and always wonderful. You know, they, they're they still my greatest heroes, you know. So it was never, you know, there was never anything bad about that, you know. And any time that I, I didn't go, you know, they would, no one ever, you know, made fun of me in that way. And so, you know, by the time I started to play guitar and write songs and all that, you know, they were a thousand percent my, my biggest supporters, you know, just do this thing. It'll be cool, Wayne. You know, it was never, uh, you know, you're just sitting at home drawing, you know, it, it was never that. So it was all my own, my own doing, you know? And, uh, so, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't a conflict between us, but, um, yeah, I think there was a lot of, things both ways things i wish i would have gone to that seemed really great and uh you know things i was glad i didn't go to because it would end up horrible you know yeah it's it's interesting that because uh, no one in my world it, it, the, the working class world that i was in no one encouraged like if you said you were going to do something creative they were like what <laughs> it <was> like, <laughs> so it's it, it's amazing to me that uh, you got that encouragement because to me it was almost like uh, I had to keep it secret. Well, no, I, and I totally understand that. You know, that's where I, that's why I say it, it, it in that way because people would think, well, of course, everybody that's a musician or an artist they come from a creative family. It's like, no, it's it's not like that. It's uh, for a lot of people like like you're speaking of. It's difficult, and you do feel. Uh, torn, you do feel embarrassed, or do you feel you're going against mm-hmm. th- their nature, which is your nature? I mean, I, you know, I think when when I I've I've talked about getting robbed at the at the uh, fast food restaurant that I was working at when I was when I was 17. You know, I really did think uh, these robbers came in, they had big guns. There had been uh, you know people getting killed at restaurant robberies around the city at this exact time, and so it was very much in our minds that. You know these these guys could break in here, and they could uh, they could just kill you. You know, and there was there was you know a few moments of this robbery where I really did feel like this is it. I'm going to die, and you kind of die. You know, part of you kind of is never going to be the same again. You know, and even though you know they came in, they robbed us, and uh, I didn't die. Obviously, you know, and everything everything worked out. You know, I thought that was a common experience for everybody too, you know, and, but as time went on, you know, I, I realized it's really not that common and people would ask me about it. And I'd be like, well, I got, you know, in the beginning I'd be like, yeah, we got robbed, but doesn't that happen to everybody, you know? And I have to say, I think that put a zap on me at a, at just the right time that it, you know, I don't, you know, these, these second life experiences, that's, that's kind of what I call them. You know, they, what they do is they wipe away all the petty insecurities about, you know, why you're doing what you're doing and why you're not doing what you're doing and how much other people think is affecting you. Like, like you were talking about, you know? And so I think for a little while after this robbery, you know, I really was freed of all that. And it wasn't that I dismissed my parents or or my brothers, you know, and I just thought, well, I'm going to try to do this music and do art. I'm going to try to do that. And I wasn't, for a little while, I wasn't embarrassed about it. I didn't feel awkward. It was like, well, you know, I, I, I died back there in that, on that floor. And this is the way I want to live now, you know? So I think I was very lucky that for a brief while, you know, I kind of didn't, those, when people would say things like that, I, I didn't care. Cause I'm like, Hey man, you know, I'm alive. So I'm going to do what I want, you know? 
that was that's been a curious uh a curiosity of mine with your work and not just that moment but there's um there's a lot of references to death in your songs and like uh, like uh the song you, you wrote about uh I'm forgive me for not having the song in my the title in my head um, that's okay I'm terrible with titles and names <laughs> yes, but I, I, I am too yeah I, I guess the bigger point is you have these themes of like death and you know like do you realize everyone you love is going to die like those kind yeah. of things and that yeah. Is it, and I was wondering if that moment or if there's a series of moments that sort of like in your life that were this definitive end of innocence and pushed you because, you know, that kind of experience could push somebody also to a negative space. Sorry, that was probably yeah, two yeah. questions in one. <laughs> no, no, I, I told you it's, it is. It, it's all that. I mean, I think. You know, I, I, I'm putting you and I together, but I'm saying it's our fault for being too sensitive. You know, I mean, uh, you know, something happens and I would see uh, my older brothers and their friends just shrugging off like, oh, well, and I would be devastated by it. I would I would at first just be like, why, why doesn't this devastate you? And so, you know, being more sensitive to the world, that's our probably our our dilemma, you know. Um, but, you know, that. Part of what I think Flaming Lips music does, it's it's like adult innocence or something, which sounds like a bad, you know, combination. But it's 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 the things about your childhood and the things about being unworldly that are still kind of real in the world. On top of you understanding really how brutal and ugly and painful it is, and so I think that's you know that's part of what. I don't know, you know, I, Stephen, you know, the, the the master musician that's in the, in the group with me, you know, I mean, part of what I always remember is like, you know, we're able to do this kind of music. Not every group is is so capable of doing this kind of heavy, emotional, but you know, some something expressive and pure about it without it being heavy handed. Not not a lot of groups are capable of doing it. So they do, you know, they do the music that they're capable of doing. But with Stephen and I, you know, I started to realize, man, we can really go all the way here. You know, there isn't some level of musicianship or, or emotional expression that we can't get to, you know. So I think once that became like a possibility of something we could do with our music, you know, it was sort of like, well, we should try to do that because it's hard to do and not very many groups get the chance to do it. And then to have a producer like Dave Fridman, who his sensitivities and his background, like yours and like Stevens, is is similar to mine too. So we have all this flow and all this determination and skill and creativity and all that that says, let's try to do that. And so I think that's why we sometimes will do, I think, probably more songs like that in that longing kind of way uh, maybe than uh, than other groups and and plus i mean we just make lots of records you know we're always 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 making records so that's probably that as well is yeah i it is imp- almost impossible to me from where i sit to for someone to achieve what you guys do because there's not a lot and this is going to sound really fucking hokey <laughs> But like, there's not a lot of music that makes me want to, when I get home, hug my wife because I'm grateful for the love that I have. Because within your music, there is also this aching and there is this beauty. But you, 
I swear to God, there should be like a, a, a French word for it. Just, it's like this, there's such a complexity to what is in there. I love that. that that's, that's genius that you said that's true though. No, it is. It's like, it's like a word that we know it's this specific thing. It's not a blend of these other meanings. I, I totally understand that. And, and I think, you know, a lot of that I think is coming from Stephen and, and, and in his life. I mean, he it, it has a lot of uh, had brothers and sisters and moms and dads and all this. And he is the last living orphan of his entire family. And he, he wasn't the youngest one in his family, you know, and that's that's been a, already a couple of years. It's, it's not it's not, you know, it's not now. It's been already been a couple of years that that was the case. So I think there's so much of that in his life. That I and he's so skilled. I mean, it's uncanny how emotional his music can be. And so, sometimes when we're we're writing stuff together, he has such an emotional thing that it it makes me want to sing about these these things that we need the French word for. You know, it's like when the music is there helping me. The music is loving me and encouraging me and saying, "Tell me more, tell me more." You know, and. So I do, you know, and I trust the music and I trust that it's better to know it. I think these are the things that we must say, you know, um, but, but no, you're exactly right. And that, and that to hear people, to know that that's affecting people. I mean, that is the most wonderful thing that can be said about any, anybody's art, anybody creating something, you know, but it does that thing. It really puts that feeling and that, you know, it really puts it from me into you. And that's, that's just, um, you know, that, that's as great as it gets. Thank you. I don't know if this is uh, oh, ab- too abstract, but I was curious because you and Stephen have worked together for decades, and I don't think that is an experience most people have, something that is emotional, and the things that you've gone through, it's like different than family. I'm just wondering what that, if you can describe what that bond is with someone like that's creative, it's friendship, and it's endured a lot of challenges and successes. Yeah. Well, um, mostly I think it's dumb luck, you know, that, you know, not too many, not too many bad things have happened at the same time. Not too many animosities have gotten too big or whatever, you know. And I mean, I think that we're absolutely lucky that the successes that we've had, you know, they're not so giant and so quick and so overwhelming that you kind of, you know, you're, you're changed by it. You know, our successes have happened little by little. They're totally understandable leaps, you know, up, you know, getting more exposure, getting more popular, getting more money, all these sorts of things that can really, you know, fuck with you, you know? Um, and the bad things that have happened to us as a group, you know, haven't been that bad. You know, we've had other, other, band members come and go and all that, but we haven't had something so horrible and so tragic or whatever that would make us not want to do stuff, you know? And that I, you know, I just set to work doing stuff all the time. And so I think you probably see this in in your adult life. It's like, for me, it's like, if you don't work with me, I don't really know you because I'm just doing shit all the time. And if you're in, in the, in the realm of all the people that I'm having to do stuff with, I'll know you and I'll be friends with you. But if, you know, if I just am going to see you to drink a beer on the weekend, well, I don't ever drink beers on the weekend and stuff. You know, it's just not that kind of relationship. So, and, you know, so I think, you know, for Steve, and I think he's very glad 
um, that I am super motivated because, you know, we'll, we end up doing a lot of stuff and, you know, there's a lot of times he's motivated, but he's, you know, for every 10 times I'm motivated, he's probably motivated, you know, three or four, you know, so I think he's glad to be like, you got a lot of energy and you're, you're good to go. And, you know, I'm going to, I'll help you, you know? So I think in that way, you know, it's a good combination because, you know, Two people like me would want to kill each other, and you know, maybe two people like Stephen, it would, it might just be too, too easy and too relaxed, you know. So I think it's a good combination of, you know, I can go forever, and Stephen saying, I'll, I'll go for a little while. I don't want to go forever, you know. So maybe, maybe it's that, you know. But his level of musical skill, I think people, it's hard for people to realize that. It, I mean, he's, he's so. He's such a master, not just you know, guitar, not just keyboards, you know, I mean, singing, drums, just anything to do with music, you know, giant orchestration, all that sort of stuff, you know, that him seeing in my abilities and my way of being creative or whatever, you know, he sees that as being the door to whatever we want to do, because I don't know how anything works. You know, I don't know that it's going to be hard. I don't know if it's going to be easy. I don't know if it's going to be impossible. I don't know if it's wrong. You know, and so I think he sees in me like, oh, he's the door that opens up that I didn't even know was a door. And I didn't know that that was even should open up. And, you know, so I, and so in that way, absolutely lucky, because someone not as skilled as him would just look at me as an amateur, you know, and maybe the other would be true too. I'm such an amateur that if you're not, if you're not like so so great that I can't touch you, I would probably want to compete with you or something. I, I don't know. So it, it really is in the realm of like what he's doing that I could never do. And what I'm doing, he wouldn't really want to do, you know? So we're both feeling of this other spot in each other. That's, um, that's just, it, it, it doesn't feel like we would, it wouldn't be a song of ours if we didn't both have this, this thing going on. Do you think that perhaps you got you wouldn't have had such longevity if you would have had bombastic success early on? Would have that maybe fucked with the younger version of yours head? Oh, I'm 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 positive of it. You know, it's just you know, it's hard enough to make anything work anyway, and really none of us like come from music industry background. And and I don't mean that in a bad way. It's just I I meet people all the time who's fathers, you know, work at record companies or musicians and stuff like that. And they just have less of a it's less of an explosion in their life about what it what it's like to be famous and to make money and stuff like that. You know, so for us we would have just been completely lost, you know. I mean you know, like you said, when you're growing up, you know, you get used to living in a world where everybody makes a dollar a day, so to speak. You know, you you make it and so do they. And everything you do is around that. Everything that you eat, every movie you go to, everything you experience is based on really what you're able to do, you know. And it doesn't really work. If you're if you're making a million dollars a day and you're hanging out with people that make one dollar a day, it's going to be trouble because they can't do what you're doing. And you you know, your relation to them and why they're doing what they're doing, why you're doing what you're doing, it would just fuck with you, you know? And so I'm glad that none of that ever happened very much at one time. You know, we would, we'd have some success, but then before too long, we'd just be back into being nobodies again, you know? And after that happens to you five or six times, you're kind of like, Oh, this, this is, this is kind of all right. Cause you know, people care about us enough that we get to keep making records and doing our thing. But they don't care about us enough that we should like keep doing the same thing and keep you know keep 
keep making the same donut every day, you know. So in, in that way, we would have never thought that this type of navigating this type of thing in the music industry would have been possible. I mean, there was just nobody that we ever knew that would have... They wouldn't have done it, but I don't think they would have wanted to do it. You know, most people, when they're 20 years old, they just want to be rock stars and fuck it, you know? <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> you know? And by the time Stephen and I are running into each other, you know, we don't really care about the rock star thing. You know, we care about music and we care about making records and doing that our way, which sort of requires that you, you know, maybe you, people think you're a rock star or whatever, but that really was by the time we got together, we already knew that about each other. So, you know, there was no, there's no hierarchy of, 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 you know, where, where we're at, you know, our identities and our personalities were pretty much already like, you know, we're already there. Do you ever look back and go, holy shit, we've done all this stuff, or is it just keep moving forward? Well, I, once in a while, um, you feel like, I mean, especially when I when I did think about all the records and all the, the cool things we got to do, it, it's utterly like, you got to be fucking kidding me. It's the most insane life there could ever be. Um, but I always, I still worry, you know, I still worry day to day, like, is all this going to keep going? Is everybody all right? You know, um, are we going to be able to keep doing it? You know, all the the dumb worries that you always have, you know, it never feels, and maybe it's, this is true no matter what happens to people, you know, it never feels like, um, oh, you know, we're, we don't have any, uh, you know, there's no, there's nothing stopping us. There's no, you know, it always sort of feels like you got to get up and get to work and do this and try hard and, uh you know, do it with as much uh, love and attention as, as you can, you know. Um, so, yeah, a little bit of both. But it's not in any in any way is it ever dreadful. And, and, and you know, especially once you have kids and stuff like that, it, it really does put in perspective all these silly things that you used to worry about that I'm very glad now that I've got this, this little boy and I know what's important and it helps me to not waste so much of my time and energy worrying about stupid things that are probably never going to happen, you know, because your mind is filled up with worrying about things that really could happen to him. And you know what I mean? It just changes your priority. So in that way, um, I think it's, I think we could probably go on forever now because it's, it's just kind of like, we like doing it. It's easy for us to do. You know, there's enough people enjoy working and doing it all. Um, but yeah, I mean, it kind of feels like it'll probably last at least another couple of years, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I was curious about, because I, like you, had, uh, I wasn't a young dad, or an early dad, uh, and like, I mean, I just, I'm 52, I just had a kid, you know, eight months ago, yeah. but I, I, it's still, like, I view life now as pre-dad and post-dad, because it's like, it's just such a different fucking world, and I'm like, I look at the guy who I was six years ago, I'm like, who, who, who the fuck was that guy? Like, I, I, but though I think you're probably more evolved than me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I think for me, I, I mean, I come from this big family, and I think part of what was always in me, I think that's why I'm in a band like the Flaming Lips. It's like a family, you know. Everybody that you are working with sort of becomes your family, and so I think I probably was fatherly i mean some of the guys that i'm working with now they're they're in their early 20s they could be my kids they i could be their granddad i mean i'm that i'm old enough to be you know that i could that, all that could be true you know and so i think in a way 
you know, I've been, I've always kind of embraced that anyway. There's some, some young guys and I could see where they, they, they look to me. I have some authority. I have this thing going on, you know, and like I could be their dad or whatever. And so I don't think I knew all that. I think I was just going along with it, just being a bunch of freaks and we're on this, you know, this ride together. But I think most bands, um, are most, you know, things that require being, you know, a handful of guys. If you stay together, it's, it's like a family to you, you know? And so for us, I think we knew that even a long time ago that, you know, you don't just, you don't fire someone because they don't show up. You know, this is your family. You, you, it, you know, and, but not to treat family. I mean, for me, you know, people who don't treat their families good, it's like, I, I just can't, I can't, I can't be around them. You know, to me, it's like family is like, your, that's your greatest, your greatest gift. That's your greatest thing, you know? So, you know, we all try as best we can to take care of each other and love each other and help each other and work for each other. And, you know, all that just gives your, your, makes your life so rich, you know? And for me to be able to wake up every day and knowing that, I'm not just doing this because I'm a creative weirdo. What I'm doing is going to help, you know, my family. It's going to help Stephen's family. It's going to help Michael's family, Dave Friedman's family. You know, there's a lot of people involved that motivate you to say, oh, I get to do this. This is wonderful. If it works, we all benefit so much. Yeah. Is is that a similar reason to uh, why you stayed in Oklahoma City? Because a lot of people get the fuck out of where they're from. Uh, and I was, because I've, I think that's, at least from what I've observed, it's great. And you're like this part of this community and a lot of people split their hometown when they get success. Right. Well, you know, when we started, you know, early eighties, you know, the bands that we were being inspired by, um, you know, butthole surfers, they're from, you know, they were from Austin then, but Austin wasn't a big deal in the early eighties. It was just another, you know, town, um, you know, REM was from Athens. Athens is a big deal now, but it wasn't back then. You know, they were, meat puppets were from Arizona, you know, uh, Phoenix or something. You know, bands, they were just where they were from, where they lived. They made music and that's who they were. And so we even looked at it like, like the Beatles. They were from Liverpool, you know, and, but they probably left after a while. But we just never thought of it as being anything. And then I, our very first reviews, that we got when we made this, that very first record in 1984. I mean, part of everything that would ever be said about us would be they make this music and you're not going to believe it. They come from fucking Oklahoma, you know, like, like that's part of the, that's part of the, the curiosity. And, and I, and I didn't deny it, you know, and in the early days when we would uh, go to Los Angeles and we would visit, you know, other musicians and other bands that we knew, the way that they were living in Los Angeles was was horrible. You know, they're trying to be a band and be creative, but they didn't, they couldn't afford to live there. You know, they would live in a single apartment. They didn't have any place to rehearse. They didn't have any, you know, and we would go back home and have our, it wouldn't be much, but I mean, you could live in a whole house in Oklahoma City and have a big yard and have dogs and air conditioning and cable TV for for nothing in that way. You know, so it, nothing that we saw early on anyway, you know, making the type of music that we were making and, you know, all that, you know, we were glad to go home to Oklahoma. You know, we were glad to get out of, you know, you know, we saw bands living in Boston and New York and all that, you know, we, and, and we realized it too. I mean, there was, 
you know, a lot of people would come here and say, man, it's so great the way you guys live. You've got your own place. You can rehearse here. And I would say, yeah, I know. It's wonderful for us, you know? So I think by time, oh, you know, mid-90s or something, where we could have decided to move to, I, you know, where would it be, Seattle or L.A. or something, you know? Um, we just didn't care. I mean, we were already set up doing exactly what we wanted to. And any place that we liked about the world, you know, we were going there 10 times a year, Anyway, you know, and I think little by little through the Internet and all this stuff, you know, you really are absolutely as connected for me anyway, living in Oklahoma as I would be if I lived down the street from you in Los Angeles or whatever. It doesn't but now it doesn't matter at all. You know. Yeah, there's a we moved outside of L.A. to a small city, which is. As I say, it's a city where you don't overhear people talking about their auditions, which is just, it's like a relief. Like, it's a mental relief because it's, being in cities like that are just, I don't know. I can't do it anymore. I did it when I was young, but it's, it's I I don't, I'm starting well, to. Well, I mean, I, yeah, I mean, I definitely understand the vibe. You know, I think young people want to be around other young people who are kind of saying, I'm, I'm in this to be successful. I'm in this to make make something, you know. And you want to be around other people that have that kind of, you know, it's not selfishness, but it's just like a self-assured, I'm, you know, I, I'm, I'm doing this and I want to be around people that are ambitious and driven in the same way I am, you know, but I would feel exactly the same way you talk about, you know, when we would go out there and have to talk with you know, record companies and stuff, it was horrible. And we were very lucky that the people that signed us to Warner Brothers were like the coolest people there could ever be. And they were just the opposite of a lot of the, you know, fake uh, record company people that were approaching us. And people would think it would be the opposite, you know, that you, you signed to Warner Brothers and then you finally shake the hand of the, you know, the evil, the evil corporate thing. But it, the, the, the people that signed up, I'm sure there are some people at Warner Brothers like that, but the people that signed us and dealt with us weren't like that at all. They were wonderful. And, you know, we would ask them about, like, why did you sign us? And, you know, the woman that signed us, she, she was so cool. And she had signed, like, Van Halen and Devo. And, and she just said, because I, I love your music. I think you're great. I think it's, this is the right kind of record we should put out, you know? And I'd be like, really? You know, like, <laughs> what's the catch, you know? So, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the, the overriding cliches, they're cliches because they're true, but those things didn't happen to us. So I, you know, that's part of the story too, that we're just very lucky that if we, we, you know, these people were attracted to us in a time when we probably wouldn't have known the difference, you know, and as time would go on, we'd go, man, these, these people are cool. It could have been anybody that approached us. And we really were approached by some of the coolest people ever. So, so when I say luck, I just mean in that way, like, gosh, you know, we didn't know what, what we were getting into. We really got into something amazing. So thank you. It's been a real honor. Oh, well, man. Well, that's great. Well, thank you. listening to conversations with the wire please become a patreon subscriber if you like also subscribe to the show on your itunes or what have you not and tell your friends about the show that would mean a lot to me as well as uh, go to the link tree in the show notes or the mattdwire.com or conversations with the wire at the instagram and you could learn more about the show buy merch and all those great things thank you very much for listening